following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. That's a good crowd. I didn't know if we'd either have like 12 people or like 400 today. It would be one of the two, I thought, in between. But hope you've had a great morning. I hope you have enjoyed all the elements that have come with Christmas Day, uh, the presents and the family and friends and food in a little bit, so we'll look forward to all those things. It uh, occurs to me that it seems like on Christmas, uh, a lot of times, we end up feeling a little, um, what's the word here, almost like disappointed or let down sometimes after Christmas is over. It's like the big buildup, right, for so long, and then you get to Christmas Day, and it happens, and like 30 minutes later, it's all, it's all done, and you're like, okay, now what? back to the next day and and you move on from there. I would remind us of two things this morning with that feeling. Number one, remember all of us, every single person in this room, just how blessed we are. Just would remind you that today. In America, there really is very little um, of rich and poor. What we really have is rich and richer. We are a wealthy people. Every one of us in this room has far more than we deserve, far more than we need, We have far more than most people in the world have, far more than most people in all of human history have had, to be quite honest with you. So I don't care what you have or don't have, what you got or didn't get, what kind of house you woke up in this morning, what kind of dinner you're going to next. Just be thankful, okay? Be thankful and grateful for all that God has blessed us with uh, because it is more than we deserve. I would also remind you in terms of that feeling of maybe that that's it, there's all that's there that uh, it's really interesting when you think about Christmas in and of itself. I want you to think through the four Gospels for a moment, and I want you to uh, try your best quickly in your head to think through the various stories that you're familiar with in the four Gospels. How many of those stories are found in all four Gospels? Obviously, don't answer that out loud. Just think about it. Any story you can think of, can you... Picture it in all four of the Gospels. I did a study uh, in Mark, as most of you in here know, over the last few years. And part of that study, I sat down and just went through all four Gospels and tried to put all the stories together, kind of line them up. It's called a harmony of the Gospels. Just wanted to see how it all fit together. And one of the things that struck me is there are very, very few stories in those Gospels that occur in all four individual books. There's a lot that occur in three of the four, a lot that occur in two of the four, but very few that occur in all four. So let's think of one that definitely shows up in all four Gospels, the crucifixion, right? Definitely shows up, all four talk about it. And why do they all four talk about it? Because it's really important. A story's got to be really, really important for all four Gospel writers to point it out. So we, we see the crucifixion there. That makes sense. We celebrate that at Easter. Let's think about the birth of Jesus, though. In all four Gospels? No. Matthew talks about it. Luke talks about it. Mark doesn't mention it at all. Apart from the fact that Jesus is alive when the story opens, you'd have no idea that he was ever born in Mark. John really doesn't talk about it. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he says that the word became flesh. But that's really just making a general comment about incarnation, not about his birth per se. You don't get any information about his birth there in John 1. So of the four Gospels, only two of them talk about the birth of Jesus, and yet we have a whole holiday built around that. And yet there is one other story 
that is mentioned in all four Gospels that we never celebrate. We hardly even talk about it. We never think about it. And it's the baptism of Jesus. All four Gospels talk about the baptism in some detail or another, but they're all very clear in talking about it. And the question I would ask us is why? Why do all four talk about that story but not the birth story? And I would argue this morning that it's because in the baptism of Jesus, they see a very important moment occurring. And that moment is the moment when Jesus truly appears in their minds. Not in the birth so much, though that's obviously true too. I'm speaking in almost a, a, a degree here, but, but they see in the baptism the moment when Jesus truly appears, when the Messiah finally comes and reveals himself to his people. And I would point us into John chapter 1, and just listen here for a moment. In John chapter 1, John is writing about John the Baptist. In a moment when there were a, a group of Jews who came to him and wanted to know who in the world John was. And so they go to John and they're like, hey, John, who are you? Are you the Christ? And he says, nope, I'm not the Christ. And they say, are you then Elijah? Because remember, Elijah's supposed to come before the Christ. And he's like, nope, I'm not Elijah. He says, are you the prophet? Or, no, I'm not the prophet. Well, then who are you? We've got to go back and tell people something. You're out here baptizing and you say you're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Who then are you? And listen to his answer. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. He says, listen, you don't realize it, but the Messiah, the one you're looking for, he's right here in your midst. He's standing around you somewhere. You don't even know who it is. This is why I'm baptizing, because I want him to be revealed. And so, verse 29, the very next day, John sees Jesus coming towards him and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. What is his purpose? That he might be revealed to Israel. Now, listen very carefully to this next statement. He says, and John bore witness. I saw, this is John the Baptist speaking, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. He makes a point to emphasize this idea that it rests, it remains on Jesus. He goes, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, talking about God giving him this knowledge beforehand, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. All four of the gospel writers focus on this idea of, of the Spirit descending on Jesus here at the moment of his baptism. And you might be kind of confused by that, or maybe you're not because you've never thought about it before. But let me help you understand why they're interested in that. In Isaiah chapter 11, a passage Jordan had us read together a few weeks ago, listen to the words of Isaiah as he talks about the coming of the Messiah and the coming kingdom of God that, that would appear when the Messiah came. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is a, a, a descendant of Jesse, a descendant of David. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall judge Uh, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he goes on to describe that what's coming with this Messiah, when the Spirit comes and rests on him, the kingdom of God would appear, righteousness now will reign, faithfulness will reign, mercy will reign, Uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb, children can put their hand on the the home of the cobra and the adder and they won't be hurt, there's peace on earth. He describes all these things and in verse 10 he says, in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire. It's not going to just be for Israel, this coming kingdom, it's going to be for all the peoples of the earth. And so as John is standing there and he's watching the Spirit descend and rest on Jesus, he knows what this means. He gets it. All four of the gospel writers get that this is not just a a passing, forgettable moment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the sign that God's Messiah has come and his kingdom has come. Jesus says the same exact thing. If we go to Mark's account of this, and I know none of you remember Mark chapter 1 by this point because it was like four years ago that we were in that book, but that's okay. In Mark chapter 1, right after the baptism, Jesus goes out and begins his ministry. Do you remember the very first words that Mark records from Jesus' ministry after his baptism? No, I'll read it. He says, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is just following suit with what we see in Isaiah 11. It it all fits together. It all makes sense as Jesus comes now out of his baptism, revealed to the nation of Israel as being the Messiah, the promised one. Understand, everyone, the kingdom of God has come. This is If you can take it this way, this is the the real Christmas in the minds of the gospel writers, not the birth. It's not that I'm downplaying the birth or saying the birth in and of itself isn't important, because clearly it is. What did the shepherds, or excuse me, the angels proclaim to the shepherds? Behold, right? I bring you good news, gospel of great joy. There's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They see it. Hey, he's born. But there's another aspect to this there in the baptism where they see it as being like official. Right? This is the moment. The Spirit has descended. Jesus is the Messiah. He has come to bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I can't always get my kids to get along, much less lions and lambs. So the kingdom of God isn't fully come. Right? It's, but it, is, it, it has begun. It started. And yet, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for another advent, right? A second coming. When the Messiah comes again, is revealed to all the world, and the kingdom of God comes in fullness and righteousness fully and finally reigns on the earth, and all that is wrong is made right. It is good and right for us on Christmas Day to remember and celebrate the first coming, the the first advent of Jesus. But that almost sense of like, "Eh, that's all there is to it, you get today, right? There's a part of that that's actually kind of good because there's more coming. We don't just look backwards at Christmas, or at least we shouldn't just look backwards at Christmas. We need to look forward, too, to the second advent 
the second Christmas, when now all the things we read there in Isaiah 11, they will fully and finally be made right. So we're living between the Christmases, between the first and the final, between the Advents, the first and the second. And it's in that hope and in that longing then that we can sing out almost with Israel, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're still crying those words. Nothing has changed for us except that we have a hope that maybe they didn't have because we have a taste, a taste of what that kingdom is, of what it looks like, and what it is going to be when we have it in its fullness and and finalness. So go home today. Enjoy time with family. Enjoy time with friends. Play with your toys. I'm saying that to the adults, okay? Have fun with it all. All right, I'm good with that. I want you to love everything about this day. But I also want you, as you go home to your friends and family, remember, there's a better Christmas coming. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for being the Messiah, the promised one, who was going to come and make all things right again. I pray as we go home today, as we go out from here, that we will not be satisfied with the things that we have received or just with the the events and the traditions that are accompanied or accompany this day, but we will remember that there is another advent coming, that your kingdom is coming in its fullness, and that we have we have something we look forward to that the world does not have. For them, Christmas is over. For us, we have it every single day because of you, Jesus. So we thank you for that. We ask your blessing on us in this time. In your name we pray. Amen.